John chapter 20 this morning, please. As we continue journeying through John on Sunday mornings, we are now considering the events surrounding Christ's resurrection. Last week, we considered the details, really from all the gospel accounts, those little facts that we find about the resurrection, and we are meant to analyze those facts with the spirit of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They had received the Word of God with all readiness of mind, and then they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things be so. And that's what we're meant to do, amen? Now, understanding facts alone is not salvation. But you have to have faith. It can certainly be a good starting point to understand all these facts, but one can know what the Bible says and still be lost. There must come a point where the facts not only leads you to conclude that Jesus is the Christ who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, bore your sins upon Calvary, died, was buried, rose again, ascended on high, and now with a name above every name, almost everybody in here I think would say, yeah, I know that. But you must come to believe, or by meaning this, you have to put your faith in that He's the only means of salvation. And then you have to cry out to God for salvation, understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 10.9 is pretty clear. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, believe what? That God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. As we begin today, let's read the same verses we did last week, as I'd like to draw just a couple more thoughts out of this. And we'll read verses 1 through 10 here of John chapter 20. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid Him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and see if the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Just to recap, to get us up to the point of what I want to discuss this morning, remember from last week that Mary Magdalene is making her way Uh, to the tomb here, but she's not alone. According to Mark, we are given a couple of other names. We know that along with her is Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they are on their way to the sepulcher to anoint the body of Jesus with sweet spices. And they approach the cemetery as they do. They had left while it was dark. The sun is now beginning to rise. And as they are about to approach the sepulcher, they start to ask among themselves, who's going to roll the stone away for us? Well, when they get there, the stone has already been rolled away. 
But in their minds, there is a problem. The body of Jesus is gone. Somebody must have stolen it. That's what they're thinking. Nobody's thinking resurrection. So Mary runs to where the disciples are holed up at and she tells Peter and John what she had seen. And then they get up and, and they head that way. And, and she had told them, they've taken our Lord and we don't know where they've laid Him. And so they, they hot-foot it to the tomb. They get there and, and they enter the tomb and they see that Jesus' grave clothes are lying there, folded up neatly. They realized Mary was telling the truth. And when they saw those grave clothes, they should have realized this was not grave robbers. If you're going to rob a grave and unwrap a body, you're going to steal the clothes as well. Why in the world you'd want to steal a dead body? But anyway, if you're going to unwrap a body as a grave robber, that's really what you're after. And Jesus was wrapped in fine linen. So they definitely would have taken that had this been grave robbers. And I don't want to re-preach last week, but that should have alerted them to realize, no, he wasn't stolen. Now, what was their problem in not identifying the truth that Jesus had resurrected? And really, we could go back to the time of Jesus' arrest when all the disciples forsook Christ and fled. What was their problem? They're watching this man who they have followed for three and a half years, and now he's being scourged. He's being ridiculed and mocked. The crowd is crying out, crucify him. He bears his cross to Golgotha. They nail him to a, to a cross. They raise him up, and there he dies. Jesus rises again. They don't understand that. They go, they see the empty tomb. Something is missing in their life. What was missing? Jesus, He had already foretold them of some things that was going to take place. But what we find that they missed by seeing really what was obvious, they did not have the Scriptures at the ready. Now, what I'm about to say about, about this situation is not to somehow suggest that we would have done any better. I know we think we've got it all together, amen, and bless God, if I was there, I would have believed. Right. Look at verse 9 again. It says, because there's special emphasis given here as to what their problem was. For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that He must rise again from the dead. Their problem in this moment is they did not know the Scripture. You're going to think Brother DeGarmo and I compared notes, but we didn't. They had a lack of faith in God's Word. Therefore, the reason no one was thinking resurrection was because they did not believe the Old Testament writings, which to them was the Word of God, right? They didn't have a New Testament yet. They didn't believe the Word of God. They didn't even believe what Jesus had said unto them. Now, I discussed last week whether or not John fully believes here that Jesus has risen again. I, I wanted you to think about that. It says in verse 8, He saw and believed. Did he believe the resurrection or did he believe that Mary was telling the truth? Well, I'm going to give you the answer this week. Amen. This is an excited crowd, isn't it, this morning? Amen. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, like it was some big cliffhanger. All right. Uh, look, this is my life, okay? At least pretend like you, you know. Uh, amen. Um, so when you study the other accounts, you'll find that the disciples were all unbelieving with no mention ever of John believing. Let me give you some scriptures to chew on here. For example, even after Mary Magdalene had seen the risen Lord 
In Mark 16, 11, it says, And they, speaking of the disciples, when they had heard that He was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. And in Mark 16, 13, when they told the residue, or all the other disciples, is what it's talking about there by residue, it says, Neither believed they them. In Luke 24, 11, when the women tell the apostles that they had seen Jesus alive, it says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. In Mark 16, 14, it says, Afterward, He appeared unto the eleven as they said of me. So Jesus is appearing unto the eleven, the 11 which would have included John. And this is what He said. And abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen Him after He was risen. So based upon the verses I just cited, we can conclude in verse 8 that what John is saying is he believed Mary's account, but not necessarily believed in the resurrection. Because she'll see him after this. And the Bible's clear that they didn't believe when the women came back and said, hey, he's risen again. Why not? What was their problem? Because of verse 9. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And what we find here in our text is there is an immense importance placed upon the Word of God. It's as if John is saying, had we known and believed the Scriptures, there would have been no doubt about what happened to Jesus' body. That it had not been stolen, but that He had in fact resurrected. We can learn from this that the reason for confusion in our times of crisis is due to a lack of faith in God's Word. It can even be a lack of even knowing what God's Word says to begin with. Look, how are you going to have faith in God's Word if you never are even in it? I mean, you got to get in the Word of God to know what it says. We must be a people of the book. We must be in God's Word daily so that we can draw from the well of God's Word. We must read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it. I don't think I have to convince you of this, but we live in a day where the Word of God is being devalued even within churches. And I will say so-called churches. There is a move today to devalue the Word of God, and I could throw out the names of these ministries and you would likely know them. And this is the design of Satan. It is what we find Him doing when He first shows up on the pages of the Word of God, and that is devaluing God's Word. Even in some so-called churches, they will attempt to explain away the Genesis account of creation by stating that it was only put in a way that we could comprehend. As if it's so hard to understand. I'll just tell you, it's a lot easier for me to understand Jesus or God said, let there be, than to believe that there was some cosmic accident and we just all evolved out of some soup. That takes a lot more faith. They'll say, well, it wasn't six literal days. It wasn't really spoken into existence. And what they're doing is they're, they're bringing the Genesis creation account all the way down to say, it's nothing more than a myth. Churches! They'll try to explain away the miracles in the Bible by attempting some logical explanation, by trying to introduce some scientific fact. 
As if if it can't make sense in our mind, then there's no way it could have possibly happened that way. That's why it's a miracle. I'm sure you've heard those who try to say, well, what really happened at the Red Sea crossing was, it was really only about six, eight inches deep. And the strong wind just kind of dried up the water enough for them to walk over. That's so stupid. Am I allowed to say that word on Sunday morning? That is so moronic. Just stop with the trying. Okay. My wife knows my limited vocabulary, and this will go off the rails fast. How in the world are you going to drown an army in six inches of water? That's a bigger miracle than part. Well, it couldn't have occurred. It doesn't make sense. They'll deny the reality of hell and the penalty of dying without Christ as our Savior. And all false teaching is the result of denying the veracity of God's Word. There's one very well-known pastor who has openly proclaimed, quote, The foundation of our faith is not the Scriptures. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. End quote. He also goes on to say, Thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. A pastor. Can you imagine? I want to be clear, I am not equating the disciples to the false teachers of our day. That's not my intent. I'm just simply highlighting there's been a drastic move away from God's Word in our day, even in Christian circles. So I don't want you to misinterpret anything. Uh, I believe these, these disciples were men of integrity. Uh, these were top shelf. I mean, listen, they, they forsook all. They followed Jesus for three and a half years. So I, in no way am I trying to equate the two. But they had a lack of understanding nonetheless. So what was the problem in Jesus' day which led them to not understand the Scriptures as of yet? And we need to consider this because we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. Well, the problem was the belief that Jesus was on the scene to restore the kingdom to Israel. They had a misunderstanding of what Christ came to do first. He came to die first. He came to die for sinners. That doesn't make sense in a person's mind if the Messiah, when He shows up, He's going to restore the kingdom. Why must He die? And if you don't believe, if you're believing that the Messiah is going to set up the kingdom on earth the first time, then why would you be thinking resurrection? Because you're never thinking He's going to die to begin with. And John directly places the reason for the lack of their unbelief in Jesus' resurrection because they did not know the Scriptures. So what we see is, get this now, preconceived ideas can lead us away from what is otherwise obvious truth. Preconceived ideas. They believed He was the Messiah. Therefore, He must be here to make our political life better. And subsequently then, because He would make our political life better, the Messiah is here to make our life better. Does that sound familiar today? For just a moment, I would like for you to turn over to Luke chapter 24. 
just to highlight this point, we'll come back to John 20 so you can keep your place there. Chronologically, this is a little bit further along, but it'll help to illustrate my point. Luke chapter 24, I'll begin reading in verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know Him. And He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? (laughs) Isn't that great? I love it. (laughs) What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Listen now. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not His body, they came saying that he had, they had seen a vision of angels which said that He was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but Him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And here's a message I would love to have heard. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And He made as though He would have gone further, but they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and The day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at me with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. That's a pretty good tip-off right there. (laughs) And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? We see in verse 21 there, they had trusted that Jesus was the one who would have redeemed Israel. They were looking for political deliverance from Gentile dominance. They were expecting things to improve. But because Jesus never did bring a political revolution, it led them to begin to doubt whether or not He was in fact the Messiah. Now how does Jesus deal with their incorrect thinking? He brings them back to the Scriptures. He brings them back to the Word of God. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's the Word of God. And look at what Jesus does in verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Jesus had already told a bunch of people one day in John 5.39, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. And notice their testimony here in verse 32. Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way, and while He opened to us the Scriptures? 
Look just a little bit further down, if you would, in verses 44 and 45. This is Jesus appearing to the disciples. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And this is my personal prayer when I go to the Word of God. Verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And I'm not going to break all this down. I would love to because there's a lot of good stuff here in this chapter, but I'm trying to stay on track. All I'm highlighting is this. All all the emphasis throughout all of this is upon the Scriptures. Are you catching that? Jesus says it was a fulfillment of Scripture. John said, had we just known the Scriptures. I didn't put this in my notes, but if I remember correctly, in a different gospel account, I think it might be Luke here, an angel shows up to the women and he gives them, he says, remember his words while he was with you that he should rise again. And the Bible says they remembered his words. All the emphasis here is upon the Scriptures. You can go back to John 20. For as yet they knew not the Scriptures. The Old Testament spoke of the resurrection, but they didn't have the presence of mind to explain the empty tomb. There were all the Old Testament pictures and types and shadows that were under the law. They all foreshadowed Christ's death as well. Psalm 16.10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Psalm 22 speaks very clearly of the crucifixion of Christ, therefore speaking of His death. And it goes on there later on in that psalm after verse 22, or right at verse 22, it begins to explain how Jesus is going to be singing in the midst of the congregation. He will rise again after He dies. There are so many passages to draw from. Uh, What about Isaiah 53? Amen. He was going to die. This should not have been a surprise to them. And that goes on to talk about him having an inheritance. And not only did the Old Testament foretell of Jesus' death and resurrection, but what about Jesus Himself, who is the very Word of God in flesh? Did He not tell His disciples that He was going to be delivered and crucified, but then three days later He would rise again? And yet, in their moment of crisis, they were unable to piece it all together. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus had said as much to them, yet they missed the reality of it all in the time of their crisis. Their hopes were dashed. It didn't make sense. And it was all from a lack of not knowing the Scriptures. Their preconceived ideas that the Messiah would restore the kingdom to Israel led to disbelief of what the Bible otherwise clearly taught. This is the problem with the message of many today. And it has been believed by many today, including our Baptist brethren. I counsel them when they come in and say, I thought I was saved, but all of this is going wrong in my life. Does that mean you're lost? No. But in our minds, we have somehow bought the idea that in Christ, everything's going to be just fine. And when the tough times come, we begin to doubt. I think, I mean, I don't know. What's the Word of God say? And somehow the idea has been preached so much, so often, that if you'll just come to Christ, everything's going to improve. That when it doesn't, oh me. 
And the problem with this preconceived idea, if you are one that has believed this, is it will cause you to doubt God and His Word when life doesn't turn out how you had hoped. Or maybe how you think it should be. Listen, I believe every one of us in Christ will testify, yes, there are blessings of being in Christ. There is joyfulness about being in Christ. But this does not mean that we are free from hardships and difficulties. Certainly not if we live for God. The Bible is pretty clear in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We understand that. But what about the times we're going through difficulties and it's not because we're standing up to the world? What do we do then? I want to tell you the truth is life will be hard at times. Things will happen we don't want to happen. There will be situations which are uncomfortable to go through. There will be difficult circumstances. There are storms in life. And we have to come to terms with this and not have these preconceived ideas that we aren't going to be subject to hard times or even times of crisis. There are ups and downs in a marriage. At least that's what I've heard, amen? I read that in a book once. After 25 years, I can tell you, there are ups and downs in marriage. There are wayward children that we hope come back. There are a lot of things we go through. There are financial hardships where we don't know how we're going to pay the bills. That was about several years of our life after we got out of the military and became a pastor. Lord, I don't know. It wasn't on paper. There's financial hardships we go through. There are things that won't make sense. But why? Well, as strange as it may be to understand, it's because God wants you to trust in His Word more. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why do I got to go through hard times to trust His Word more? Well, go to our podcast and listen to Brother DeGarmo's Sunday School Lessons where he talks about all of this. It may not make sense to you right away, but I want you to understand God is working in us to conform us into the image of Christ. And that takes difficult times. God doesn't paint murals. He chisels a sculpture. And the truth is, we learn far more through difficult times than we do during the good times. It is through the battle that we learn how powerful God is. It is through the trials that we learn more of who God is. We learn through our own weaknesses that He is strong. We learn just how right He is and how true His Word is. I wouldn't really know the depth of God's grace to the level that I do currently had I not been through trying times. Some of you know it even better. But it takes those difficult times to understand just how gracious God is. I would not know the richness of God's mercy had I not been drawn back to Him. And I can tell you now, after being saved, I understand far more of God's mercy than I did when I first got saved. Because now I know who I am and what I am. 
You say, boy, you, don't, you sound like maybe you shouldn't be a pastor. You got that right. It is only by God's grace and His mercy. I would not understand how comforting God is had I never been through painful situations. And it is through all the heartache that we learn there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It is through it all that we learn that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That if we will draw nigh to Him, He will draw nigh to us. It is through it all that we see the greatness of God's Word in our life which tells us of all these truths. Now we can also see from our text that in times of distress and uncertainty, it can cause us to overlook the Word of God and get our eyes focused on our problem. They are so focused on the situation that they miss the solution. Isn't that what we do? And they're so focused on they're missing the obvious. What we need to do is we need to get into God's Word. Stop looking for logical explanations to try and explain the empty tomb. Whatever your situation is. Because they initially missed the miracle. Had they just been able to bring God's Word to mind, all the details would have come into focus. Get in the Word of God. And can I tell you this morning, get in the Word of God while the getting's good. Do you hear me, young people that are still in the home? You say, well, I'd love to be out of the home. There's going to come a day you kind of wish maybe you could have that back a little bit. The bills become due. Life gets hard and your boss is saying, tough it up. Listen, you better get while the getting's good. You better get all that you can while it's good. I always go back to the account over there with Joseph. Thank you, honey. Joseph. You know what he did? He interpreted the dream. He said, hey, Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of good. There's going to be seven years of bad. You know what we ought to do? We ought to collect in all that we can while the getting's good. Because while the getting ain't good, we're going to have to fall back on that which we got in while it was good. And so what do they do? They begin to save for seven years. Then all of a sudden, a great dearth is over all the land and they have the resources. Listen, in the time of crisis, that's not the time for you to all of a sudden go. Now, God may be merciful to you in doing that. But what you ought to do is have some things established before you ever get to that point. Because what will happen is we'll fall back on our earthly reasoning. Our own logic. And we'll miss what God is working in us through it all. While the getting was good, you know what the disciples were doing? Here's Jesus instituting the Lord's Memorial Supper. He's giving them the longest discourse in all of the Bible, John 13 through 17. He's going to have all this wonderful teaching for them. And you know what they're doing around the table? They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, no wonder you had problems. You're too worried about who's great. The only one that came back was John. He was the one leaning on Jesus' bosom when they were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom. Whoop. Next, we see the danger of not having the Word of God at the ready when the moment of crisis comes our way in verse 10. Notice their reaction. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. 
not having God's Word at the ready, not looking for the resurrection as was foretold by the Word of God and by the Lord Himself directly, the disciples go back home. Oh well. We'll see later in this chapter that they're going back into hiding out of fear of the religious Jews. No doubt they're trying to process it all. I think we can understand that part of it. They're trying to process all that they're taking in and they're trying to figure out their next move. What are they to do now? Perhaps they're afraid of being arrested and charged with stealing Jesus' body. That's what the chief priests were saying. And I would imagine they're thinking, man, if they could put a man like Jesus to death, maybe we're next. We can understand why, why they are frightened, can't we? They're scared. They are faithless. They are confused. They don't know what is going to happen next. All from a lack of understanding the Scriptures. So what happened to them? What was the result of them not knowing the Scriptures? Fear had triumphed their faith. Did you get that? Fear overcame their faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We saw this on a large scale with COVID. Many went unto their own home. I'm talking about healthy folks. Where's faith in God? Where's the belief that He's able to watch over us and care for us? Where is the understanding of the Scripture that God loves you? I'm not talking about being foolish, amen? But we see what the natural reaction is of man who is apart from the Word of God. This is the problem with fear. Fear gets our eyes onto the problem and off of God and His Word. Faith in God doesn't cause us to hide, but faith in God causes us to move in the direction of our fear. I want to tell you, my friends, we're living in a day of turmoil. Do I have to convince you of that? Medically, socially, politically, academically? You thought 2020 was bad. Hang in there, folks. Do you see what's happening up in Canada? Busting into a church house while they are having service? Trying to round them up and shut them down. Did you see the pastor up there that drove him out? God bless him. Amen. He sounded kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger-like. <laughs> Get out! I heard that he was from Poland. I don't know if that's true. And that he, he knows about the Gestapo and all that. That he kept calling them. Get out! This is the house of the living God! What about that other church where the pastor was in jail for 35 days simply because he held service? You know what the government did? They put two walls around that church. You know what the people did? Tore it down. Glory is right. These are, these are tumultuous times is what I'm saying. This is just across the border in Canada. We saw some of that happening here in America. I saw one church in Louisiana and the cops showed up and shut them down. 
Baptist church. We could go all over the country. It was happening almost everywhere. Listen, what I'm saying is, we are living in times where we better know where we stand according to the Word of God. How are we going to stand when they come knocking on our door? Or worse. If we are going to go forward in faith and not become overcome with fear, as things wax worse and worse in these latter days, we got to have the Word of God at the ready. So are you arming yourself with the Word of God? Are you getting to know who God is from His Word? Are you reading, studying, memorizing, meditating upon God's Word? Because I can assure you, if you'll live long enough, crises... Did I just say that right? That's impressive. I can assure you, if you live long enough in this life, there's going to be a crisis come up. And you'll need the mind of God, and you'll need the assurance of God's Word beforehand. That's what Brother Mahler always said. I remember him saying that to the young people here. You better know where you stand before you're tempted with it. Some of you are going through a crisis right now. and Perhaps you've doubted God as a result because you thought it was all going to be smooth sailing. I just want to encourage you, get in the Word of God. Don't falter because you don't know the Scripture. Don't just retreat to your home where you're left to yourself and your own thoughts. Usually when you're by yourself, you're bad company. But run to the protection of God's Word. The Bible says in Psalm 56, 3 and 4, What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His Word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. God is not the author of confusion. And if you're confused this morning, go to the Word of God. If you'll get in the Word of God, you'll avoid slipping in times of crisis. Know the Scriptures. Let's pray.